Um, tell the person on your right you want to be part of the few. Tell the person on your left you want to be part of the few. If you've read ahead, you know exactly what I'm talking about. If you don't, well, let's stand and we'll all find out together in Revelation chapter 3 as we are traveling through the book of Revelation. We are in the church of Sardis. We're nearing the end. And this may seem bad, but when we get to Laodicea, it's going to seem a lot worse. Hopefully not to us. And to the angel of the church in Sardis writes, as Jesus speaks these things to you and I and the church in Sardis and the church around the world, these things says he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. I know that you have a name that you are alive but you are dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. And here's why. For I have not found your works perfect before God. I'm sure before man they seem great. Remember, therefore, critical word, how you have received and heard. Hold fast and repent. Therefore, if you will not watch... I will come upon you as a thief, and you will not know what hour I will come upon you. Nothing good there. Here's where you have a few names, even in Sardis, who have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes shall be garments, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. In the same words in every single letter, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And Father, again, we're asking that you'd bless our time in your word. God, that we would have ears to hear. And we'd have hearts to receive. And Lord, you would move your word way past our mind, and you would get it into the deepest recesses of our hearts where it would produce fruit. Some 30, some 60, some 100-fold. Please, in Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. This is the wake-up church. We know that this place called Sardis geographically was about 1,500 feet above the valley floor. That is a fact. It seemed like no one could break in because it's geographical location. So when King Cyrus in the 6th century BC broke in, the world at that time was shocked because it had never been done before. What little we know about this place called Sardis is this, and this is important because when you get this, you get the whole letter, is all of its glory is from its former years. You want to remember that. When you thought of Sardis, you never spoke of what was happening in the church right then, but always you spoke of something that had happened in the past. Oh, that movement, that, 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 those, that salvation, it was always in the past. Oh, you should have been there. Man, it was amazing. The days of the tent, it was happening. And you know what? I'm sure it was, and I wish I could have been there. But that was 50 years ago. Someone say 50. 
So how is God using you now? And all too often, I just get a blank stare. Because see, people are still living in that place. Please understand that this is the present day Sardis condition in the church. Not looking at what you're doing right now for the cause of Christ, but always speaking of your walk with Jesus in the past tense. Hey, newsflash Sardis, newsflash Calvary Chapel, Jesus isn't into this, and you should be able to tell that by just what we've read. It's pretty clear from verse 1 as he writes to them, with you present tense presently have a name that you are alive, but you present tense presently are dead. I don't even know what to make with that. You, you see, this city became known as one who had been taken by a thief in the night. They weren't awake. No one had ever broken into Sardis before. So they were sleeping. They were living off the past successes of future gener- or of existent gener- generations. And so they were dead, tired, asleep at the wheel. When Sardis was conquered, these men climbed these unclimbable walls and they came up to the top and they looked in and everybody was safe asleep. Why? Because they were safe yesterday and they were safe yesterday, the day before, and so we're safe today. And that was their mantra. We're safe today, yesterday, so we're going to be safe today. And they're always living off of the past. And this did not just happen once in their city's lifetime, but twice. And, and I could imagine, well, okay, that was luck. It'll never happen again, so we don't need watchmen anymore. And I'm sure they had watchmen for like three months, like when the towers got hit, the churches filled up, and then after three months, everybody went back to doing their thing. And so, but then after the months wore by, it's like, nah, I'm the watchman this time, but wait a minute, man, it's never going to happen again. So, you know, there was no watchman. And lo and behold, it happened again. Why? Well, because they had the same thought. No one can break in here. Again, they're living off the past success. Now, roll that same thought into the context of the church because as we go through this, we see the church was sleeping and dying, but why was it sleeping? What brought about the drowsiness? Why were they dying? I believe it's the same reason the city was overtaken and dying. They're living off their past experiences with God. They're living in past works or past accomplishments of others that had gone on before them. Before we get too far, look at your neighbor and say, you awake? Nobody's sleeping today. <laughs> Team, we've got to wake up if need be and not live off of Pastor Chuck's work or off the past accomplishments of Calvary Chapel. Now, that is our legacy. There's no doubt about it. But God wants to write some new chapters through your life. It's critical. We can't, oh, the Jesus movement is up. Yeah, but he wants to write new Jesus movements. I believe he's going to do it to the young people. But he doesn't want us to live in the past work of others. Jesus is going to make that so clear to us, team. So let me ask you before we even get rolling, what do you have going for you right now in the spiritual department? Who are you preaching the gospel to? Who are you praying for to get saved? Who are you out making disciples of? Those were the commissions that Jesus gave. It wasn't a suggestion. It was go out and make disciples, teaching them all things. So, so how's that going right now? How are you presently in love with Jesus and doing crazy in love type things with him? Only you can answer. Only I can answer. 
Because see, when you're in love, you do crazy things. There was a gal on Facebook, a Filipino gal. I've known her for a long time. And all of a sudden, it's like, how come she's all dressed up? How come she's making these funky poses? And so last night, I, I messaged her and said, okay, so what's the deal? Is there a guy? And she goes, oh, ha, ha, Pastor Bruce, how did you know? Because it's obvious. When people are in love, they act differently. Roll that into the church. When I'm in love with Jesus, I'm acting differently. I'm present, I'm current, I'm game on. It's, it's time to rock and roll. So if you were to give a present day account of your life to Jesus, what, what would you tell him? I don't know, we ought to have an answer. Here's what we can't say. We can't say nothing and then walk away unchanged. You know, Lord, I don't have anything going right now. And the reason we can't do that and the reason why that's a dangerous place to be is because in two weeks we're going to do the Church of the Laodiceans and you're either on fire or you're getting vomited or you're cold. Those are three choices. I don't want anybody vomited. And I don't want anybody cold. Well, at least if you're cold, you're going to realize you're cold and you'll get to where you need to be. This is like the lead up to the church of the Laodiceans where they're living their lives for themselves and they're calling the shots. The church in Sardis was not looking for Jesus' return. They had no watchmen on the wall sounding the alarm. Hey, be looking for Jesus' return. They are living off the past spiritual works of others, and it was killing them. Well, not all of them, because there is this exception to the rule of this small remnant. That's where we got to be found. But you know what? Jesus has some tough words for these that are not awake and not awaiting his return. And here's why I know this. Out of the 178 words in these six verses... As Jesus writes to these believers, 25 are an opening and closing, 26 are good words, but a whopping 127 words are rebuking, corrective words they need to do, and they need to get it going. That's crazy. I don't even know what the percentage is that, but it's high. Sardis not only was a real city with believers that Jesus was writing to, but Sardis also represents, if we look at it from a historical perspective, that time period of history known as the Protestant or the Protestant Reformation. And that movement was born in the 1500s. And it exists to this present day, just like Roman Catholicism, like we saw last week. This Protestant movement came into being out of a sincere love for God and salvation by faith through grace. It also came about as a forsaken of man's religions. When you think about the Protestant movement, most people think of Martin Luther because he went and took those 95 issues he had with the Roman Catholic Church and he nailed it to the church door, the Catholic Church door in Wittenberg. And they kind of busted loose from there. And there's many great truths that he brought forward because of his love for the scriptures. But the Protestant Reformation, it wasn't a clean movement. They carried with them many of the Catholic traditions and rituals and in this new church age. And when you mix man's rituals and religions into a new work of God, over time, you're going to have a name that you're alive, but you're dead. So not only a real church in 96 AD, it appears to represent a real time period for us today, but then we already know that because of, well... You know why? Because of verse 6. It's for us. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And what we've got to hear, team, what the Holy Spirit desires to speak in our hearts through his word are these words. 
We got to be distraction free. We got to be awake, not, not checking out, not snoozing. Look what it says in verse one. And to the angel of the pastor of the church in Sardis write, and, and, and remember, all, six, all seven of these letters have a description of Jesus to the church that really represents what's going on in the church. So this is what he says to this church. He writes to them, these things says he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. What does seven mean? Complete or fullness. So a fullness of the Holy Spirit Jesus possesses, claiming he has authority to give to this church, to give to his church. And this church in Sardis was lacking. So this reads here, these things says he who has the complete power of God and the fullness of the church in his hands. I know your works. He does. Jesus knows all about them and he knows all about us. He knew everything that was going on in Sardis and he knows everything that's going on in the Woodlands, Texas. See, whether you're a believer, a make-believer, or a non-believer in his church today, no one is hiding from the one who can see and know all things all at the same time. I hope we all know that. And so he says here to you and me, the church today, as well as the church in Sardis, I know your works. And I hope that excites us. I hope it does. Look at your neighbor and say, here it comes. I know your works, church, that you have a name that you are alive, but you are dead. I mean, how would you like to get that letter from Jesus? Here was a functioning fellowship that from the outside looked like it was alive. It had a reputation for living. As people looked at this church, there were signs of life. It all looked good. But seeing that somewhere they had compromised with the world and or they were living off of past experiences and past things that they're done and they're all of a sudden maybe coasting and they're no longer watching for the return of Jesus Christ. Jesus says to them, you have a name that you're alive. That's what man thinks. But he says, I'm here to tell you you're dead. Wow, shocker. Now we know that Jesus could easily write this to large portions of his church today. But could he write this to me? It's the question. Could he write this to you? That's the question. Is the one who holds the fullness of the Holy Spirit in his hand speaking to you? That is the question of all questions. I know you have a name that you're alive. But as I survey over your life, Jesus says, you're dead. I can't answer that for my wife. I can't answer it for my kids. I can only answer it for me. Even though from man's vantage point, it looks like this church is alive, it's healthy, it's growing. That was a reputation. But from God's estimation of things, he says, it is dead. She's dead. Now, dead. Let's see, dead. She has a name. How do we grasp that? Well, think cemetery dead. When you die in your place in the cemetery, no more struggle. You certainly have no persecution, no preaching the gospel, no going out into all the world, no making disciples if you're dead, no salt, no light shining affecting those around you if you're dead, no influence, no reasoning, no overflow of the Holy Spirit, no more storing your treasure up in heaven, no Holy Spirit falling upon you, no boldness if you're dead. No asking in prayer, no hangout in daddy's lap, and absolutely no threat to the kingdom of, the, of darkness and the devil. And why? Someone tell me. Because you're dead. 
So why does Jesus tell the pastor in Sardis that the church is dead? I believe they've moved away from the leading influential power of the Holy Ghost seeking to direct the affairs of the church. Just like we see in the book of Acts. Man, it was God's power that was directing and driving the church. We see it all throughout. Acts 2.4, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak. Acts 4.8, then Peter filled with the Holy Spirit said to them, Acts 4.31, and when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Acts 6.8, and Stephen, full of faith and power, did great signs and wonders among the people. Acts 7.55, but Stephen, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven. Acts 8.17, and they laid hands on them, and they, they received the Holy Spirit. And that's only eight chapters. There's 20 more to go. See, the church was vibrant and alive and 100% dependent upon the power and the Spirit of God to guide their steps. That's what caused them to go out. That's what caused them to turn their world upside down. That's what caused them to preach the gospel. That's what caused them to be looking for the return of Christ. That's what caused them to be caring about lost people. The danger in all of this is when the power of the Holy Spirit is not allowed to come upon the church, whether that be bringing correction to Pentecostalism or bringing life to so much dead orthodoxy today, which is dead teachings in the church. The Bible in both instances calls that grieving the Spirit of God. And yet we read in Ephesians 4.30, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. You see, when the Holy Spirit is no longer the single driving force in God's church or in our lives, the church starts to die. I start to die. We start to die. See, there has to be that fire that you started with. That fire that you and I started with has to be present when we hit the finish line or we'll never make it. And that's why Jesus is writing this letter to them. You know what's missing in this message to Sardis that we saw in all the other letters so far? There's things missing. First of all, there's no opposition to this church in Sardis like we've seen in all the others. There's no mention of persecution or doctrinal problems to fix. So, so why is that? Well, I think it'd be safe to say that the reason that there's no persecution towards the church in Sardis is because there's nothing to be persecuted for. They had no outward witness. Their lives had lost the saltiness. The church, for the most part, had simply lost its way. They're no longer impacting their community for Jesus Christ. Complacency had crept into their lives. Apathy and lack of concern and laziness and boredom. Oh, another Bible study. And boredom was slowly leading them to a place of death. Lack of interest was flowing in their veins. Oh, they still came on Sunday for two hours, but it was the other 166 hours that they spent during the rest of the week. It was killing them. So why should the devil bring persecution upon a sleeping giant and have them awake? He's not. Better just to let them think they're alive and pleasing God as they literally lull themselves to sleep. You see, the unsaved in Sardis looked at the church in Sardis as a respectable group of people who were neither dangerous to their ideologies or thought, nor desirable to turn to. They're simply decent folks with a dying witness and a decaying ministry. But here's what we got to not miss. Jesus was not going to give up on them. Just like the Laodiceans, as he basically has stepped outside of the church and he's knocking, saying, open up the door, I'll come in. Jesus wasn't giving up on them. Jesus isn't going to give up on them, on these here in Sardis. Jesus isn't going to give up on you. But you got to respond. 
They might have given up on Jesus here in Sardis, but he wasn't giving up on them. He speaks to him in verse 2. Be watchful. Yeah, you got to name your alive that you're dead, but be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. There's a spark there. It's like Jesus can see, hey, there's a little spark there, for I have not found your works perfect before God. So there's some activity, but the activity doesn't catch God's eye. I don't even know what that looks like. Maybe it was all about them. Hey, we're going to go do some activity so people go, wow, he's really spiritual. I, I don't know. But it wasn't catching God's eye. Watchful can also mean, wake up! We awake? This is what you go look it up. It can also mean wake up. So wake up and be watchful. And Jesus is telling them they need to wake up and strengthen the last remaining truths that they're holding on to. So please notice, Jesus is not writing them off. It's very important for you and I to see that. If you're in this place of apathy and slowly dying, Jesus isn't writing you off. He's brought you here to wake you up. Where there is life, even if there is small there is hope. Even the faintest heartbeat gives doctors something to work with. Even a little smoke will start a fresh fire in my heart. And Jesus peering in sees a light heartbeat in this church and he's seeking to stir them back to life. So he said to them, wake up and be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. He says that because he loves them. Otherwise, he wouldn't have said anything. He just would have let them die. Now, as you look at these words here, wake up, be watchful, strengthen, doesn't that bring about a sense of urgency? Doesn't that seem like, wow, something needs to happen right now? Now, think with me what being watchful does in our daily lives. What is the true church supposed to be watchful of? It can only be one thing, the return of Jesus Christ. And I hope we can all see why being watchful is so important. Jesus tells them in verse 4, if they do not watch, that he will come as a thief in the night. So when he says, be watchful and strengthen, this is nothing other than church, wake up. Jesus is coming back, and when the bride of Christ has that mentality, they are alive and they are impacting their community and their culture and making themselves enemies to this world system. Because Jesus had enemies, and the apostles had enemies, they were killed, and the church down through the ages always had enemies. How about you and me? And that's not for being a jerk, okay? I don't get any credit when I'm an enemy for someone being, when I'm being a jerk, but for living for Christ. And see, out of that attitude, as we have this mentality and this heart-driven drive that Jesus is coming back, ministry driven by the Holy Ghost will happen has to. Has to. I mean, does the thought of Jesus returning for you, his bride, consume your thoughts? Or is this the first time you thought about it in a week? Hey, if you haven't thought about it, you need to wake up, friend. You need to be watchful and strengthen. You, according to Jesus, are dying. If I'm being watchful, then I'm going to be strengthening the things that remain. If I'm not being watchful, then I'm naturally going to do what? Nothing or whatever I want. Because again, if I'm in love, man, you're watchful. You're watching his every move. You're watching her every move. You're going, whoa, he pulls money out of his pocket. Whoa, he takes showers. And man, you're watching the signs. 
Well, that's what has to happen in our lives. Jesus tells a parable about the five wise and five foolish virgins, and that whole parable is about the importance of being ready and watching for the return of Christ. And remember what Jesus says to the five who are ready? He calls them wise. Remember what he says to the five that weren't ready? He calls them what? In his words, not mine. If you're not watching, verse 3 is for you. Remember, not invent, not rediscover, not improve, don't create a program. Remember, therefore, circle this word, how. It's critical. You miss this, you miss the whole, the whole letter if you're not part of the few. Remember, therefore, how you have received and heard, hold fast and repent. Notice this does not say what you have received and heard. What is contents? It's content. How is how you received. As in, how did this salvation thing happen in your life? How did you hear and receive the truths of the gospel? Well, first of all, it was by the Holy Spirit coming after you. The Bible says no man comes to the Father unless he or she is called. That's how. And you received as a little child. That's how. You had the faith of a child and you said yes to Jesus when the Holy Spirit was knocking on your heart. And if you've lost your way, what do you need to do? Well, you need to turn back to Jesus, just like you did the first time. And remember how you received and heard, and then you got to hold on to that. See, the candle in Sardis was flickering. The fire was about to go out. This church does not need an emergency board meeting to try and figure out what's going on. The key for this church to become back on fire again is the third word and the third verse. And if you haven't underlined it yet, it's this word, how. How? Well, pastor, I don't remember how. Well, then you're in trouble. Well, no, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm born again. Okay, but how? You know, I'm not saying you got to remember the exact date, but you have to remember how you received and heard. Otherwise, you got some religion. Well, I don't really remember how. Hmm. Jesus is saying to someone who's sleeping, remember how. Those are his words. I'm not going to change that. So if you have a problem remembering how, you might want to go check in at the foundation. There's got to be a how. Remember, therefore, how you have received and heard. Your modern Bible might have the word what as the third word. I would cross that out. That's why it's a modern Bible. The key for this church to becoming an effective light again was remembering how and not what. See, remember what you had received causes you to say things like this. I'm saved. I'm a member in good standing. I'm born again. I was baptized. I was baptized as a baby. I know Jesus died for me. I know the creeds. It's all knowledge, facts and figures. Without a how, without a relationship. But see, when you slide in the word how is in remember, therefore how you have received and heard. See, that causes my mind to move from something I did to recognizing that the how in my salvation was nothing other than God and the grace of God himself. And see, that should get me excited because he, he called me, but he didn't call that person. That should get me excited that while I was dead, lost in my trespasses and sins, Jesus Christ died for us. Me, I was just seeking to destroy myself and I was doing a pretty darn good job at it. And then God showed up. That's how in my life. How's it in yours? You got to have a how. See, Jesus didn't show up because I was something special. He showed up because I was a desperate sinner 
in need of salvation. See, God's act of showing up in my life, knocking on the door of my heart, caused me to become a child of the king when I said, yes, Lord, I am serving you. I'm no more serving those demons in the world. That's how I received and heard. It was nothing of me. It was all his grace. So how about you? How, how was it in your life? It's critical that we grasp this. God was extending salvation to me, even though I didn't deserve it, didn't even know I needed it. I didn't even know what the word grace meant. But we can read about it. For by grace you've been saved through faith, that not of yourselves. I didn't work for it. It was all God. The words are very clear. Are you going to serve me or that junk in your car? Wow, that's not complicated. I declared myself an idiot by trying to save the junk in my car, threw it over the dam. The monkey came off my back, and that was my how. Had nothing to do with me other than saying yes to Jesus. See, the problem at Sardis and the church as a whole today is they're like the little train going up the mountain going, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can, and it's all about them. They've moved away from the grace of God and are being fueled and, and not, no longer being fueled by the power of the Holy Spirit. They're being fueled by power and strength and can programs of men. I think it would be safe to say if the candle was removed in Sardis that nobody would notice. It would just continue to go on. You see, in every church, there are two choices available. You can be driven by God through the power and inspiration of the Holy Ghost, by far the better choice, or you can be driven by the craftiness, creativity, perspiration, and power of men. So the church has options today. Yet Jesus is saying, remember therefore how you have received and heard. That's the remedy to get back on fire. That's the remedy to turn our community upside down. Get back in love with Jesus. It's critical. Remember how you received and heard. Hold fast to that. Don't move off of that and repent. Get back there if you have to. That's the better option. And again, repent's not a bad word. Jesus uses the word five or seven letters here as he writes these seven letters. He uses the word 20 times out of 24 verses in the New Testament. It's critical. I repent all the time, every day, multiple times. We ask for forgiveness and we repent. We don't repent without asking for forgiveness and we don't ask for forgiveness without repenting. Lord, forgive me for what I was thinking and then you turn and go the other way. Oh, and then you turn and go the other way. But you don't camp out. Jesus tells them to repent or go the other way. And the other way to go is to call to mind how you've received and heard and then you need to hold on tight Hold on tight to that direction. Repent is always submission to God's word and God's ways of living. It's not like, well, okay, I got all this, but I'm going to go live myself. No, that doesn't make me a disciple. A disciple means I'm denying myself. Lord, what do you want from me today? Because I'm yours, whatever you want. See, I don't, I don't walk with Jesus and then retire, and then I get to live for myself. Um, I haven't really found that in the scriptures. I'm, I'm sure it's in there, but I haven't found it yet. No, I continue being on fire. I need to turn my heart away from what I was following and I got to submit to God if my repentance is real. So I need to surrender how I was living and turn back at how. How is so critical as I submit my thoughts and my minds to God. And as I do that, all of a sudden this heartbeat grows stronger. 
I need to turn away from what I feel and what I want and submit my plans to God and what he wants. That's repentance. And here's why it's so critical. Remember, therefore, how you've received and heard. Hold fast and repent. Therefore, if you will not watch, if you're not going to turn back, if you will not watch, Jesus' words, I will come upon you as a thief, and when you will not know what hour I will come upon you. I don't even want to try and grasp what Jesus coming upon them as a thief looks like. But I will tell you this. This look here, these words of Jesus had better put the fear of God in me if I'm not living the way I need to be living. I mean, what, what, what's going to happen when he comes upon me as a thief? I don't know. But I know this, I'm not going to be awake. I'm going to be sleeping. Why has the church in Sardis died and the Protestant church in the process of dying? Middle part of verse 3, I believe. Therefore, if you will not watch. And not to beat a dead horse, but over and over and over again, the church is exhorted in the Bible to be doing what? To be doing what? Watching. Because if I'm watching, everything flows out of that. Matthew 24, 42. Watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. Matthew 25, 13. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day or the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. Jesus said in Luke 21, 34. But take heed to yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with cares of this life, and that, you, and that day come on you unexpectedly, for it will come as a snare on all those who dwell on the face of the earth. But you watch therefore and pray always that you may counted, be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. That's, that's three out of 97 in the New Testament. There's another 200 in the Old Testament that I'll scream that you and I, the church, need to be awake and watching. It's critical. Don't bite in the, the devil's lies that Jesus isn't coming back in your lifetime. That's what the devil wants you to think. God's word is declaring, be watching, be ready, and be awake. So think with me what looking for the return of Jesus Christ does in our lives. First off, God set it up that way so his bride would be alert and awake and on fire. They, actually, they'd be on high alert, like code whatever, red, whenever they were doing the color thing. Secondly, you'll have a heart of compassion for the lost if you're looking for the return of Christ, knowing it could happen today. You know, those people you encounter, those good works that Jesus has already prepared for you, and you're going to share the gospel with them. Thirdly, you'll be investing your finances in heaven where moth and rust will not destroy so that the Antichrist doesn't spend it after the rapture. And lastly, you'll have a loose touch on the things of the world. You will. We know there will be a few who are living this way even as, as there will be a few in Sardis because it says so in verse 4. You have a few, not a lot, Jesus says, but you have a few names. Even in Sardis, who have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. And they are worthy because Jesus made them worthy. You know, walking with Jesus in the garments he provides, I mean, how awesome is that going to be? There's a few in the Protestant system who are sold out to Jesus. And here's what's crazy. In Pergamos last week, the church that, if we look at it historically as a Roman Catholic church, there was a few bad among the good. But in Sardis... There's only a few good among the bad. Figure that one out. They're the ones that are holding fast to their relationship with Jesus Christ, which is what makes them worthy. I mean, there are some great ministers still in the Protestant ranks who still believe the Bible is the inspired word of God who are looking for the return of Je Jesus Christ. There's a dedicated remnant. And we see here that they're not, they have not defiled their garments or their lives. 
Yeah, the culture had been pounding upon them and totally corrupted the church, but there were a few who kept themselves unstained and had not compromised their belief in Jesus and his ways. And they're still walking in white garments of Christ. Remember when Jesus was talking about the church age? He said, well, it's going to be as this little seed, mustard seed, who grows into a tree. No, a mustard seed grows into a bush. So it's abnormal growth. It grows into a tree, and the birds of the air come and lodge in its branches. Birds are evil. He said, that's how the church is going to end up. It's going to be abnormal, and there'll be evil in it. Well, the church, these few that haven't compromised, they've survived through all of that. Even though the society around them was corrupt and extremely pagan, this small remnant had not grown comfortable in their surroundings. They hadn't grown complacent. They hadn't thrown in the towel and given up. They were still looking. They were still holding fast. Verse 5 becomes the promise from Jesus to them. He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments. Great promise to those who are looking and living in these last days. There are many Protestants that love Jesus and have a relationship with him. And you shall be, you who overcome shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life. Team, the books are real. If you need the fear of God here, then ask the Lord to enlighten you. They're real. They really, you know, it's not like, you know, some imaginary book. I don't know. I don't know how it works. I don't know what it looks like, but I can see it in the scriptures. This is all promise and privilege to the true believer here. But if you die without turning your life over to Jesus, if you are a Christian by name only because you're an American, if you haven't been born again, if you're on a membership role somewhere but you're not on God's role, you'll die in that state. Jesus says your name will be blotted out, but that's not God's heart at all. His heart's desire is to clothe you in white. You, you can resist that and you can be blotted out. But the only book you and I want to be found in is God's book. And being in that book, Jesus says right here, he will confess my name, he'll confess your name before his Father and before the angels. Just like today. If we confess Jesus' name before man, Jesus will confess our name before the Father. None of us should be ashamed of the gospel. It's the good news. It's the greatest news on the planet. If you need to, you need to heed the warning. Warning. Because see, this isn't a standalone verse about this book. Listen to Revelation 20 verse 15 at the end of everything. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. And there's others. Go home, fire up your Bible program, type in Book of Life in the search engine. You're going to find a bunch, Old Testament, New Testament, and then cross-reference all of them. You're going to be shocked. You might be a little surprised. He who has an ear, and I hope and pray we do. We do. Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. It's critical. So what's the formula for personal revival today if you need to be revived? Well, you need to be watchful. You need to have a sense of urgency looking for Jesus' return. You need to return to preaching the gospel because you care about people because you don't want them to be left behind. You need to strengthen. That's what Jesus said. You got to submit yourself to the Word of God. Not go, I'm not doing that one, I'll do this. No, you got to submit yourself to the Word of God. You got to look up and you got to obey. Critical, you got to remember how you heard. It's critical. You're so in love with Jesus when, when you heard. 
that childlike faith, and you believed. And you believed him for everything. But over time, friends, family, the world has been beating it out of you. No, today you got to get back to that place. You got to repent, the Bible says. A relationship with Jesus should never be in the past tense like these in Sardis. It needs to always be in the present tense. And I hope and pray that we all can have ears to hear what the Spirit's speaking to us and that we respond to His voice. Because all of us want to be found watching when Jesus comes. Otherwise, if you're not found watching when He comes, when He comes, you'll you'll be left behind sleeping. I don't even know what that looks like. Father, we're thankful, Lord, that you would write us a letter 